Hello everyone and welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly of the Aviation Maintenance Industry, A Raw and Unscripted Look. I am your host, Brian Wheels, and uh, I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, be patient, this is my uh, first time doing podcasts, and uh, so we're going to probably tweak a few things down the road and uh, you know, kind of firm up how the process of this is going to work. But again, this is the good, the bad, and the ugly of the aviation maintenance industry. This is a raw and unscripted look. Um, I am Brian Wheels. The purpose, the, uh, the, this, the reasoning, the background of this podcast is as such. Um, I've been an aircraft, uh, airframe and power plant mechanic uh, for over 14 years, and uh, just recently... Uh, became a stay-at-home dad. Uh, my wife and I had our first uh, uh, child uh, five months ago, and uh, we decided that uh, you know my wife wanted to uh, really get back to work, and she wanted to continue working, and I did not want to send the baby off to have a stranger watch him, so I decided I'll be a stay-at-home dad, and uh, you know. <laughs> uh, in comparison to working on planes, this is the greatest job one can have is, is, you know, being at home, raising your boy and, you know, seeing them grow up. But uh, this has given me uh, time to reflect back on my career as a aircraft mechanic. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've met a lot of great people in the aviation maintenance industry. And one thing that has come up time and time again is, you know, where there's so many podcasts, you know, for comedy and, and music and, you know, art and, you know, all this other stuff. But there's never been a, a social media type of platform for aircraft mechanics, for people working in the aviation maintenance industry. And, um, you know, again, having been in the industry for 14 years, uh, this gives me a means to, uh, again, reflect back on it, to, to vent, to, uh, uh, to discuss really what happens within the industry. So I assume that those tuning into uh, this podcast are either in the industry themselves or aviation enthusiasts or have interest in aviation or are just simply curious what goes on in the aviation maintenance industry and... Uh, this is give you an, a real inside look, and and it's a means to give uh, mechanics, uh, in a sense, a voice, to um, a, a voice to explain what goes on day to day as an aircraft mechanic. What trials and tribulations do they face on a daily basis? Um, as a disclosure, this is a unscripted. This is a raw. Uh, discussion on based on my experience, based on others' experiences. Um, so there very well might be cursing, there might be you know unintentional uh, political this uh, you know discussion here and there. And if uh, you don't agree with it, you can go on to the next podcast. But uh, again, really do appreciate uh, you tuning in here. Um, our email is apmechanicpodcast at aol.com. Again, that is apmechanicpodcast, one word, 
at AOL.com. I'd love to hear from you guys and, um, you know, what your thoughts are, what uh, you think I'm wrong, you think I'm right. This is a, a, a discussion as to what's happening within the aviation maintenance, uh, aviation maintenance industry through my personal thoughts and outlook and uh, several guests that we will have on the upcoming podcast, people whom I've known in the industry for many, many, many years and got to know very well. So a little bit about my background. Uh, I'm a Chicago native. I moved to Colorado in the early 2000s. As a kid, there was three things I was interested in. I was interested in trains. I was interested in firefighting. And I was interested in airplanes. And uh, never really did anything with trains. But uh, I did become a fireman. And uh, I did become an aircraft mechanic. Um, I was a fireman for... 12 years and during that time I was also an aircraft mechanic and I was able to successfully juggle those two uh, those two interests about four years ago uh, maybe maybe four or five years ago I did retire quote unquote from the fire service uh, due to health reasons um, the fire service is or always always will be a, a a great passion of mine. I, I, I love being a fireman. I love helping people. I love being able to contribute something back. And it, it gave me great joy to, uh, to help people. Even if it was in the most minuscule of ways, I, it, it satisfied me knowing that I was able to help another human. Um, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about uh, being an aircraft mechanic. Um, so, um, I, again, I, I became an A&P mechanic. I went to a, an A&P school uh, in the, uh, the northwestern portion of Colorado, west of Denver. And uh, this A&P school uh, went through several, several iterations of the name. And, uh, you know, I Another disclosure, I'll, I'll, I probably will say what the A&P school was, but I, I just want to make sure I'm not sued and, you know, stuff by whomever. But uh, the only a real A&P school in Colorado, so those of you who know it, know it. But um, I, I, I wanted to work on planes. I didn't know if I wanted to work uh, general aviation, commercial aviation at the time. And uh, it wasn't really until we, we got into our power plant section of courses. Um, we had a power plant instruction, uh, instructor named Jeff. I won't say his last name. Um, he was, uh, again, one of the, the um, turbine power plant instructors. And he had been in the commercial side of aviation for a long, long time. And he was a great, great, fantastic instructor. And he had a, a kind of a, a funny bias against what we call piston poppers, internal combustion engines, something you find in you know general aviation and such, called piston poppers. And uh, the, the way he, he described it was, it was very funny. And um, But he was so passionate about large commercial aircraft. And um, in our power plant building, we had a, a, a an old R, a Rolls-Royce RB211 that we would do projects on. And I was just mesmerized by the turbine technology and such. So I, I decided there and I, I wanted to focus on going to commercial aviation versus general aviation. So I knew that much. And um, I, I'll probably have a, another episode 
or podcast just pertaining to my time at A&P school. But since this is a pilot episode, I want to just kind of try and wrap it up in a nutshell, see if you're going to be interested in listening to my podcasts moving forward. Um, so uh, I, I, I did get out of A&P school. Uh, it was, at that time, it was three years, almost three years. Uh, now, you can, I think you can get through A&P school and in a year and a half or something. I, it's, I don't know why it's try. They really need people, I guess. But anywho, that's, that's a topic for another discussion. Um, after a and school, my first job was at L3 communications out in Texas and, uh, working on military aircraft and I'm like, okay, well, I'm working on military aircraft, working on turbine military aircraft. That's interesting. I still didn't really know what I wanted to focus on moving forward. Uh, spent some time there at L3 and then went to a small MRO up in uh, Montana. And this MRO also did uh, some contract maintenance for uh, some of the airlines at the local airport. And it was at that time I was paired with a, uh, <laughs> a very, very old, close to retirement mechanic um, uh, his name was, we called him Jay. I don't actually think I remember his real name. Everyone called him Jay. So maybe that was his real name, Jay. Um, matter of fact, on his paperwork, I don't even recall him. I don't even recall what his paper, his name was, but anyways, Jay. And uh, uh, he had been in the aviation for 40 plus years and he was the designated uh, on-call line mechanic. But I was paired up with him and I'd go to the line to take gate calls and it was around that time that I figured out that I wanted to special, I wanted to go into line maintenance, specializing in systematic and power plant troubleshooting because uh, Jay, and I, I would follow him around. I would shadow him on the line and he was amazing at troubleshooting aircraft issues. Uh, these planes were primarily MD-80s, 737s. Uh, the occasional dash eight. And uh, this guy was fantastic. And I, I really, I mean, I was just thrown back at how well he could troubleshoot planes. And I asked him, I said, how do you, how do you know what's wrong with a plane? How do you do this? And he tells me, he said, at his, at his house, in his bathroom, he's got a stack of books and they're tech pubs and gen fans. And all he does when he's on the shitter is he, he reads technical pubs. He reads gen fans. He was he's so he was so interested in learning about the the intimate function of the aircraft. He didn't care about sheet sheet metal. He didn't you know he wasn't a huge avionics guy. And I'm not knocking avionics or sheet metal, but uh, you know he he was just he wanted to know this aircraft like the back of his hand. And uh, so I'm like, wow, man, that's really cool. And everyone in the hangar would reach out to him with problems. He was like the go-to guy. So that's pretty freaking awesome. I want to do that. I want to be that guy. It was around this time that uh, I was uh, hired at, uh, or I was given a call from Boeing in Washington, and they offered me a job in the 777 program. And I'm like, well, fuck, it's Boeing. I mean, at this point, I'd only been a mechanic for two, two and a half years. And, uh, so I was like, well, I'm going to go to Boeing. And so I did. And Boeing was one of the best jobs 
best companies I ever had. So I, I'll get into it. Um, so I, I show up at Boeing, and in order to, although they, they, they hire you, right, you have to get through their skills processing center, their SPC training, which takes about three months at that time it did. And only then do you actually get to go to the floor. You have to pass all their training. And so after that three-month or so time period, I, I got through SPC and uh, arrived on the 777 line. And um, I started off in mid-bodies and then went to the functional testing department. And that was like right up my alley because current previously I was at this small MRO in Montana and I had met this mechanic, Jay, and he was great at troubleshooting systems, power plant issues on the line, et cetera, et cetera. And functional testing was really, really cool because, you know, the aircraft are assembled, you know, and brought together to form a piece, you know, or a section of the epinage. Like in this, this instance, mid, uh, mid bodies was a center epinage. They joined the we, the wings and then the functional testing department starts doing, uh, subcomponent functional testing of flight controls and small hot job of, of systems uh, components or subcomponents. And then they make the entire plane together. The plane goes to the door. Once it's at the door, final or uh, they call it final functional testing at the time, but the, the plane is still in the hangar. It's at the door, ready to go to the flight line and you do, hangar functional testing, the aircraft leaves, goes to the flight line, and it does uh, systematic, full systematic post-flight functional testing then. And so I got more involved with it, et cetera, et cetera. And I started meeting these mechanics that were in the commercial uh, aviation industry. And again, I'm learning from these guys. You know, they're, they're really, really good at troubleshooting. Boeing has one of the best training program offerings, at least at that time they did. If you wanted to learn anything, they had a training regimen for it, whether that be manufacturing training, whether that be, uh, you know, for example, if you wanted to go to Bendix or Abex um, or uh, Acres, which they're, they're manufacturers, uh, Bendix, you know, manufactures other components too, but particularly like for the hydraulic pumps, you know, and, uh, an Abex pump or, or Becker's pump. You go to a manufacturing class for that hydraulic pump. Rolls-Royce, Pratt, Whitney, they had individual classes for their power plants. Um, avionics classes, et cetera, et cetera. All the gen fam you'd want. You know, I started off on the 777 program, went to the 47 program, did some time at the 37 program. And uh, But if you wanted to, you know, say you were on 777 and you wanted to go to the 37 gen fam, on the days you weren't working, you could sign up for classes and go to those class, go to those uh, those classes or those GenFem training. So the point is, it was an incredible amount of training offering that they provided, and I literally every weekend I was in a class just soaking up knowledge, soaking up knowledge, soaking up knowledge, and I found that as a functional uh, or a systems functional test, uh, you know, uh, person mechanic. Um, I was getting better and better at my job and people started coming to me and say, Hey, you know, we have this issue here and there. Can you help us out? And people started asking me questions and I finally was like, okay, I'm, I'm where I want to be. I'm working on commercial aircraft, right? 
I, I haven't really gone into the line environments as in, you know, at airports, line environment, etc. But Boeing flight line is, you know, they call it Boeing flight line. But, um, but I'm, I'm also becoming, you know, a systematic and power plant troubleshooter. I'm, I'm getting this. So, uh, Time progressed as, you know, taking all these classes, learning all, all this, blah, blah, blah. And then Boeing had in the mid 2000s, they had a, a layoff and I was a part of the layoff. And Washington's an expensive place to live, right? And so I, I needed a job. So I found another job uh, at a RTS facility in Kingman, Arizona. And... By that time, I had already been a mechanic for four years at that time. And uh, actually, it's it a little over four years. Let's just say four years. Let's just say four years. So I go to this RTS facility. And for those of you who don't know, return to service maintenance facility, essentially it's a, it's a place they store the aircraft, okay, and you perform preventive maintenance and return to service maintenance on an aircraft. So customer says, hey, uh, I'm going to store my aircraft with you. I want a preventive maintenance uh, training program put into place. You work with the customer, and you essentially keep the the aircraft from deteriorating. Okay. Now, RTS, if someone says, okay, I want you to pull this aircraft that's been sitting in the desert, return it to operational, uh, an operational state, and it's issued a temporary flight certificate, and we're going to ferry it to, you know, so-and-so place. That I found it really interesting because some of these aircraft were had been sitting in the desert for you know 10, 11 plus years. And sometimes the for whatever reason preventive maintenance wasn't done. So there was really you really got down to the nuts and bolts of uh, troubleshooting. And these were generally analog aircraft. I'm talking about uh, original 37s, a few classics, um, old 57 200s. Uh, four seven two hundred uh, four seven two hundreds uh, MD80 series aircraft a 300s uh, old CRJ 200s Embraer 145s 135s uh, and uh, uh, DC8s so and when I when I refer to an analog aircraft it's think of it as dial gauge planes they're not next gen there's very there's avionics but there's not to the degree that we have in the next gen of aircraft, uh, you know, 737-500, I'm sorry, 737-600 plus, you know, uh, or the newer 57-200, five, uh, five, seven, 6-7s, seven, you know, the 8-7s, blah, 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 blah. Next gen aircraft are run, run <laughs> by computers, okay? Not as much as an Airbus, and that'll be another episode, you know, Airbus versus Boeing down the way. I'm a Boeing guy. If it's not Boeing, I'm not going. Anywho, I digress. So a lot of these analog aircraft uh, were, were very cool to work on because they, they, they really set the standard for how I, I learned to troubleshoot. And um, at this facility, I was one of maybe three mechanics that had more than two years of experience working on a plane. Many of these mechanics, this was their first time working as a mechanic. But unfortunately, some of them were, some of these kids, and they, they were kids, I mean, they were younger than I, uh, were ignorant, cocky little shits. And, uh, 
And at that time, I hadn't developed a a real good keep my own mouth shut type of standard. So, uh, you know, if if they were jackasses, I was a jackass back to them, and and well, it probably wasn't the best way to have applied it myself, but it is what it is. But anywho, that'll be something another episode at one point too. But uh, they eventually, this this facility eventually went under. I got laid off, and I, I went to several other small MROs, et cetera, et cetera. Worked some other other places. I, I even worked for a small, a very small commuter airline out of Wyoming that is no longer around. And uh, hold on, my, my computer just. Hey there, it's Brian Wheels here. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make your podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Okay, so that was a momentary little lapse. Sorry about that. So after uh, this place in in Arizona, I went to several other uh, MROs. I worked for a very small commuter airline for a short time that dissolved, uh, that was out of, uh, based out of Wyoming. And I eventually found my way to uh, a large MRO in Wilmington, Ohio called Ames, Airborne Maintenance and Engineering Service. I started out at this facility as a mechanic on the 5.7 and 6.7 line, and uh, the 5.7 hangar. And within the first three months, um, I met one of the I, I, uh, one of the GenFam instructors there, and he was telling me that they were bringing on a customer uh, that had three sevens, uh, next gens, and. Uh, the problem was that they didn't have 3.7 on the MRO ticket, and they didn't have a training program. They didn't have anyone that could teach it, and it was very doubtful that many of the mechanics in the facility could work on a 3.7, especially if they didn't have a training regimen. So I opened my mouth, and I said, well, I could do it. <laughs> and uh, the very next day, I spoke with the training director, and uh, he made me the 3.7 course GenFam developer and the lead instructor. And uh, so I developed the 3.7 NG program, became a GenFam instructor, and uh, taught GenFam. <laughs> Within the first couple months I started the facility as a mechanic, you know, now I'm a course, a GenFam course developer and a GenFam instructor. And I loved it. I absolutely loved teaching. And uh, it all went well. The I got the course developed in about four weeks. Uh, took it to the customer, took it to the feds. They all blessed it, and uh, easy peasy. I mean, it was it was a great time. Well, moving forward, um, as I was enjoying that, I was in Ohio at this point. I got a call from a uh, a MRO slash uh, contract line maintenance company called Timco, T-I-M-C-O. And they had an opening in um, 
Colorado Springs for a maintenance contract for FedEx, working on uh, FedEx aircraft coming through that maintenance base, but they had no one to take it on. So essentially what this became was they're looking for a station manager for this contract maintenance location. Well, Colorado is where I had moved to, it was now home, and uh, I couldn't pass on the offer, so I took it. And uh, I moved to Colorado, and I worked for Timco, uh, as w what turns out as the, uh, the uh, line maintenance, uh, contract line maintenance station supervisor. And that's a story, and I'm sure that some of you that might come across this might want to ha hassle me on that story, and I'm going to get into that on another episode and that's going to be one of my little grievances with that kind of trickle down within the aviation industry that was an interesting great job um the fedex maintenance manager um I, I won't say his name but he was based out of denver fantastic guy fantastic organization fedex express in itself is a fantastic organization to work with these guys liked me so much they would come to me they would come to me with not, not only, you know, maintenance issues, engineering issues, administrative stuff. They would circumvent my boss at, at Timco. They would circumvent him to come to me first. And that pissed off my boss at Timco. And again, this will be in another upcoming podcast episode. Um, but uh, that was a fantastic job. Absolutely fantastic. But uh, Timco became Heiko Americas. Heiko in Asia bought out Timco, which Timco became Heiko Americas. And then that company went downhill pretty damn quick. And the line services division uh, became dissolved after about three years working there. So, or give or take. So <clears throat> after that, uh, I was like, well, you know, this kind of this kind of sucks. <laughs> Um, I got a call from uh, STS Aviation, and uh, hold on, I got to reboot. It's, it's, you know, the problem with these freaking old computers, I, I this comp particular computer is several years old, but I don't want to spend $1,000 on, on a brand new one, you know, it's jacked the prices up so badly, but uh, yeah, so after my time with... Uh, Timco slash Heiko after they laid off everyone from line service division. I went to a company called STS. They were opening up a line maintenance facility in Salt Lake City and they needed a station manager. So I went there and opened this facility up for them. And uh, that turned out to be a hodgepodge. And what I'm thinking of is when I'm talking about all these little experiences, I'm going to make separate podcast episodes that are going to expand on some of these different experiences I've had. And within that, we're going to have different subject matter um, relating to, you know, the, the environment as a mechanic, environment as a lead, environment as a supervisor, environment as a manager. What makes a good lead? What makes a good supervisor? What makes a good manager? You know, as a mechanic, what do you want to see in these, these type of people? What do, you, what do you want out of your leadership? What is, how is your leadership uh done for you that's positive what have they done that have failed you we're going to talk about these things you know they, again this is an intro startup episode so i want to kind of just get you enticed as the overall view of what we're going to kind of discuss and then we're going to have 
separate breakdowns in the structure of the podcast further on. But uh, I left uh, that STS gig after a while because they, the the VP of maintenance really, this guy, he he had his head up his ass, and again we'll we'll be explaining that. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I took some time off, took a hiatus, and uh, I ended up going to a company called Vestas, and uh, they're a wind uh, wind turbine company, and. Uh, I went there for a while just to just to see what was different, but aviation was in my blood. I, that's what I knew, and uh, eventually I took a job at uh, uh, eventually ended up taking a job at SkyWest Airlines in uh, in Denver, and uh, you know SkyWest it was a it was a decent company, um, really had no I mean it was just like any. Any line shop, you get to you get to know the washout mechanics that had been there for, you know, ten plus years because they couldn't hack it elsewhere in the industry, and they found this this little safe haven where they they felt comfortable acting out, being belligerent, being just general asshats, and you know they got away with it. And I'll discuss that in another episode as well, but. Uh, Worked at SkyWest up till the COVID, and uh, at that time though I was also doing RTS gigs on the side, um, out in you know Arizona, New Mexico, California. Uh, I, I was doing RTS work um, when I wasn't working at you know at SkyWest, but up till COVID things really came to a stop, and around that time my wife and I uh, found out you know. She was pregnant, and we were gonna have our first child. And I had already decided at that point, or we had already decided together that it, you know, I wanted to be a stay-at-home dad. But uh, anywho, stay tuned to the next podcast. We're gonna break down the structure going forward and how we're going to, uh, what we're going to discuss and such. You know, again, the good and the good, bad, and the ugly of aviation. This episode was just to give you an overview of about me, my background, experience a little bit, and we'll expand on that in another podcast, in the other podcast coming up. And we're also going to have several guests, uh, fellows that I, I've known in the industry for years and years, and they're going to share their personal experiences with us. Again, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the real truth behind working in aviation maintenance. And uh, we're going to get into you know the, the meat of it here uh, coming up in the next several episodes. Uh, but again, uh, my email is apmechanicpodcast, one word, at aol.com. Uh, feel free to drop me a line and, uh, you know, tell me uh, what do you want to see on these podcasts? What do you guys want to discuss? We can make entire podcasts devoted to you, the listener's subject as well, whatever you guys want to hear. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting, you know, feedback and thought. Uh, so, you know, th- this is for not just myself, but this is for every aircraft mechanic that thinks that, hey, you know, I I want someone to, to speak for us. Because I'll, let me tell you, it's not that they can't, they can't speak for themselves, but whether you're in the line, whether you're in the hangar, whatever it might be, in nowadays, you speak out, you're now, you're now the person, you're now, you're now marked as the troublemaker. 
and you could very well find yourself losing your job. Even if that means you're speaking out due to quality, safety issues, illegal maintenance practices on aircraft. I mean, I've seen people walked out, people who had been at a company for years and years and years, walked out by dumbass supervisors, dumbass managers who wouldn't have it, will not, would not tolerate someone sticking up for what's good, would not tolerate people who have integrity. But we're going to get into that here in the next several upcoming episodes. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Again, email here is apmechanicpodcast, one word, at aol.com. Drop me a line. What do you want me to talk about? What do you want to talk about? And uh, we're going to have some upcoming guests and uh, really appreciate you guys stopping by here. Again, this is Brian Wheels. Talk to you later.